Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Well, good morning. I think the last time I was here, if I remember right, I had a story to tell, and I got another one today. (laughs) So uh, if you want to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 7, that's where our story will begin. And although there's uh, a number of things I'm going to enjoy um, talking about as we go through the story, I will go ahead and share with you that uh, one of the last things I have to say Uh, It's probably what's most on my heart to say, so I'm excited to be able to get to that. Um, And maybe it'll even be more uh, uh, just uh, more powerful of a a lesson to take to heart as we see um, what happens in this story. What we're going to see here, just to give you kind of an idea, uh, we are going to see in this first part of the story, Israel coming back to God. So enjoy it, because <laughs> it's, uh, it's a wonderful scene uh, to imagine happening. First Samuel chapter 7, looking at verse 2. So it was that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mitzpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mitzpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mitzpah. Now, this really is a beautiful scene, uh, a beautiful scene to, to picture. Um, perhaps you're like me, you just love it when you come across these records in the story of Israel as you're reading through the scriptures. You come to points like this, and it's kind of like you're like, hooray. <laughs> you know, something has turned for the better. Israel has come back to God. But there is a sense, and I think you'll find this agreeable, it's a, sa- it's a shame in a sense that such scenes as these are even necessary. Because it just would be so wonderful if Israel would just stay faithful and not have to be brought back to God to just stay faithful to him and not have these points in their history where they had to be brought back to him again and again. 
So, uh, yeah, this is a heartwarming passage. It's a delight to read. But if only there was a faithfulness. Because we know Israel. <laughs> we, we know Israel's story. We know what they're like. Whether it be detail by detail unfolding of the story, or sometimes we have these little synopsises that just uh, give us a good overview of the history of Israel. We know their story. And we also know ourselves. <laughs> and though the story of Israel is not just put there to be a historical record. <laughs> it's got a purpose beyond that. Because it's very easy for us to see ourselves in their story. Israel, they're God's people. And so we who are Christians, we can relate to them for that's what we are. We are God's people. And as God's people... <laughs> How worthy God is. How worthy he is to have, as we read in verse 3, our hearts. And our whole heart. Our whole heart. How worthy he is to have our whole heart as his people. How worthy he is to have the entirety of our worship. We read about that in verse 4. And to be served. We read in verse 4, to be served. Yes, how worthy God is that his people, that his people should be entirely devoted to him, that his people should give him all the affection of their hearts, that his people should serve him. You don't expect the world to do that, but his people? And not just for a time, Maybe there was a season in our life, or maybe we're in the midst of a season in our life where it's, it's on again, off again, on again, off again, and away from the Lord and back to the Lord. But eventually, to come to a point where we're past that, and we've learned to just be faithful. What a lovely thing a life lived faithfully is. It's just a lovely thing. It's lovely for God to see. <laughs> lovely for God in heaven to just look down on the earth and see a faithful life. There's one question the scriptures ask, who can find a faithful man? It sounds like it's something really hard to do, you know? Who can find a faithful man? How lovely it is for God to be able to look his eyes going over the whole earth, right? And to be able to see faithfulness. But it's also lovely for the people of God to see. It's lovely for the people of God to see a faithful life. And even to some extent, it's lovely for the world to see. You know how they, they will jump at the chance to speak that word, hypocrite. You know that they'll jump at the chance to do that. So even for the world, there's a certain measure in which it's a lovely thing to see a, the people of God being faithful to God. Not just time and again, here and there, back and forth, but consistently throughout their life. Imagine your life like in a book or reading this book. I wonder if the people knew that uh, the things that they had done would be recorded in this book. And here we are all these years later, we're reading about it and we're talking about it, thinking about it. Um, imagine your life in a book and it's being read by someone, you know? And then something like this, uh, oh, I love this part of their story. <laughs> I love it when Scott turns back to the Lord with his whole heart and begins to serve him. You know? 
but do I have to also imagine the reader knowing my whole story like we know Israel's saying to themselves yes this is this is a this is a heartwarming passage in Scott's life it's a delight to read this part of his life but if only there was a faithfulness because we know what's going to happen if only such scenes as these weren't so necessary necessary because he keeps going away from the Lord his faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew, it goes away. That was the prophet Hosea's words concerning Israel's faithfulness. Isn't that creative? Very uh, picturesque way to speak of the faithfulness of Israel, to speak of it as a morning cloud. Oh, oh there it is. Oh, oh, there it goes. To speak of it as the early dew. Oh, there it is. Oh, there it goes. It comes and it goes so quickly. And I don't know, that uh, maybe this isn't the perfect way to say, I don't know, there's, there's something to this, though, to, to be able to say that, you know, anybody can do well for a time. <laughs> you know? Anybody can do well for a time. Just, uh, yeah, some subjects come up. Um, just specifics, uh, and I speak of, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on here, you know, so when I say this, I, this is not based on, this is based on just traveling around and talking with people in other places that um, marriages are just like getting wrecked, um, you know, and uh, maybe, maybe it's good for a time, but then, uh, and then it's not. And then maybe it's good again, and then maybe it's not. And, uh, and there's just a, such a yearning for a faithfulness, yes, to one's spouse, but a faithfulness to God in that marriage. To not be going back and forth, away from God and back to God and away from God and back to God for the sake of the marriage. Um, there's so many that are affected by our faithfulness or lack of faithfulness. And anyone can do well for a while, we might be able to say, but to be able to do well consistently, to be faithful, that's what we want. And that's what grace is available for. <laughs> I love this guy, Epaphras. I know, I don't know anybody named Epaphras except for this guy in the Bible. I think it would be a good name to name, you know, a boy, um, but I can understand maybe it's not like you don't see any Hezekiah. Well, maybe you do see a couple of Hezekiahs running around, but Jehoshaphat's no. But you've got these, you got these good, good names of good men uh, and women. Um, and Epaphras, I love what Paul says, Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant who is a faithful servant of Christ. All that we should be committed to our God faithful all the way to the end. And even if no one knows it now, it's gonna, the day is coming when everything is going to come out and uh, each man will have his praise from God. We read in this passage about idolatry, uh, talked about Baal, talked about Ashtoreth, fem uh, female uh, Canaanite goddesses. These are the people of God and they're bowing down to idols. 
things that are taking their hearts away from God that make it necessary for them to have to come back to God, something else that's drawing their attention, something else that's drawing their affection, their hearts away from God, that which is due to God, they're giving to something else. There's um, one of the Psalms that gives one of these synopsises of the history of Israel is uh, Psalm 106. And in one part in this Psalm, it says of Israel, you'll know exactly what's being referred to here. They made a calf. They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt. How quickly, right? We, we marvel at that. They come out of Egypt. They saw such power, such great things that God did in Egypt, mighty things, things that terrified everybody else when they heard about it. All the inhabitants of Canaan, their hearts were melting. Their hearts were melting in fear of the terror of what they heard had been done in Egypt. But even before they got to Canaan, here's the people of God, and they're like, give us a calf, make us an image so we can bow down to it. And the way the, the psalmist puts this is they exchanged their glory for that. They exchanged their glory for that. What was their glory? Their glory was they had God, <laughs> the true God as their God. And they said, well, give us an image and we may bow down to that. And they took their glory that the living God who created all things was their God, and he was in their midst. And he had conquered the Egyptians and led them out, and they exchanged that, which was to be their glory in the midst of all the other nations who served idols and bowed down to blocks of wood. It was their glory that they had the true God, but they exchanged it for idols. Now, for the Christian, like, I don't, I don't think, I, it would surprise me if, you walked into a Christian's home and you found them bowing down to some idol, some block of wood, something made of stone, some image that would probably surprise us to see that kind of idolatry. But we know that idolatry is an issue, even for a Christian, to be giving the affections that are due to God to something else, to be giving something else, really, in essence, our worship. It's got so much of our heart, so much of our time, so much of our energy. It's just, and I look back at my life uh, some time ago as a Christian and seeing idolatry easily. Not at the time, but looking back, I could see idolatry. I was so into music, it was clear to me I was an idolater with music. Um, and we realize that things can come and they become so important to us and they, they're so elevated by us and they have so much of our attention that it's, it's idolatry. And it's amazing to me that John, in his epistle, 1 John, he writes all this deep stuff and complex stuff and uh, things about how we know whether we're in fellowship with God and how we know if we love God. And at the end of his letter, it's like, it's such a peculiar way to end the letter to little children in the faith. He says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Isn't that interesting? First John ends with that statement. Oh, that we should be on guard, that our affections be right, that God should be free, if I could say it that way, God should be free to rejoice, to look into our lives 
and see nothing drawing our hearts away from him, to look into our lives and see that he alone is worshiped, that he is preeminent. And for some reason, I just felt like emphasizing this, that he has served. That's what we read. It says, and they served the Lord only. They put away their idols. They came back to God, and they served him, and they served him only. We read that in verse 4. He's so worthy of that. Brothers and sisters, he's so worthy that our lives should be characterized by service to God. And I put a little honor on that in our estimation if we need it uh, by referring to a story I know we all know. Remember the story of the three thrown into the fiery furnace? And it's what Nebuchadnezzar says about them as he calls into the fire. I love this so much. You remember what he says to them? He says, servants of the most high God, come out. I just love that. (laughs) You know, and I like to imagine the three in there like, yep, that's what we are. (laughs) We are servants of the most high God. And that is what we are. We are servants of the most high God. And faith will lay hold of the honor of that right now. One day it'll be so clear when we're glorified with him and we're coming with him. (laughs) Then we'll know this this is great to be associated with him and to be his servants. But faith, faith knows it now. And again, to serve him not just for a season, but faithfully. You know, uh, for those of the people of God who would give him their whole heart and worshiping him and him alone and serving him, you know, they're going to have more stories to tell. More stories of his greatness. More stories of his power, of his kindness, of his provision, of the riches of his generosity. They're going to have more stories to tell of his victory in life. (laughs) Because he's going to show up. He's going to show up in that life, that one that's true to him. I mean, he shows up in lives regardless because he's just good and he's just generous and kind and merciful. But the faithful man will abound with blessings. And those that are faithful, oh, they're going to have stories to tell, more stories to tell. And in our story this morning, Israel turning back to God, the Lord shows up. If I can term it that way, the Lord shows up in in an obvious way and gave them a great story to tell of his power and of his kindness. Look at verse 7. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mitzpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. This is great. Someone turns back to the Lord, and immediately there's trouble. Yeah, count on it. Count on it. You know, you want to turn back to the Lord, if that's somebody here this morning, and you want to turn back to the Lord, get ready for trouble. It's going to follow very soon after. They turn back to the Lord, and the Philistines are ready to just pounce on them. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us. You know, for those of you, again, if this applies to someone here who needs to come back to the Lord, there's people praying for you. There's people praying for you. And Israel, they knew Samuel was praying for them. 
And they're like, don't stop. Don't stop praying for us. Please don't cease to cry out that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. Can you see the scene? They're coming in. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day. He thundered. It's like a a crashing in the heavens above. It's like a roaring coming from above. It was the Lord thundering. And so he confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Beth-kar. And Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. You see that, you know, one of the, one of the verses that I was away from the Lord for a long time, um, I guess that's all relative, but I remember one of the verses that people would give that said, the Lord will restore the years the locusts have eaten. And here, what was lost is they've gained it back. The Lord is just so good. <laughs> He's so good. Um, and it says, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Wow. But we know Israel. Uh, I have a happy ending to the story. But we're kind of leaving now this place, this happy place where they turn back to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord shows up and gives them victory and they gain back those things that were lost. And all this just seems to be going so well. We know that they just don't stay there. And so we move on with our story to chapter 8 and verse 1. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. It's just not good that Samuel made his sons judges. There's trouble when when we appoint people and it's not of the Lord, it's just going to be trouble and this is what it was. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, look, you are old. And every time I read that, I'm like, how did that, how did that go over with Samuel? You know, like, first thing, they're like, look, you're old. <laughs> um, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing that displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us, So Samuel prayed to the Lord. You know, Samuel was hurt. There was some personal hurt on Samuel's part, but there was more than that going on here. In the next verse, the Lord reveals it. Verse 7, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. 
Because the Lord was their king, you know, right? The Lord was their king. You want to answer that question, who was the first king of Israel? The Lord. The Lord was the first king of Israel. And they rejected him. They rejected him from reigning over them. Verse 8, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read this, like the behavior of the king, but you would have thought that once the behavior of the king was revealed to the people, they would have been like, never mind, we changed our mind, we don't want a king. But that's not how it goes. Uh, Verse 19 says, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, we will have a king over us, that we may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. Again, they exchanged their glory They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. And sometimes I don't know if we we uh, consider enough the heart of God, uh, the the pain that His people caused Him in such a scene as this. How grieved He was. We're talked, we're told about grieving the Spirit of God. One of my expressions that sticks in my head with regarding uh, to Israel that reveals the heart of God is a statement where he says, I was crushed by their adulterous heart. Ah, oh, it's just what God has endured in his own heart. He says, I was crushed by their adulterous heart. And here he's rejected by his people. They foolishly and wickedly discarded what was meant to be glory for them among the nations that they had the one true living God as their God in a world of false gods and idols who cannot see or hear or speak or do anything. They had the living God. The one who had created all things, who had done awesome things in their history, showing to them his great power and his love for them. Many times it was clear that he had gone into battle and fought for them and given them miraculous victories, and it was glory for them. It was glory for them. God was their king. I love what we read this morning, uh, Psalm 45. So I had to add it to my notes here. Um, The sons of Korah say, My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. What king? Saul? David? Solomon? No, the king. (laughs) The king, the Lord. That's who my lips are ready to speak about and my pen is ready to write about is the king. And it was their glory. God was their king. He reigned over them. He went out with their armies and fought for them. But they say, no, give us a man. Give us a man. We want a king. 
Never mind that it is our glory that among the nations who have blocks of wood as their God and a mere man as their king, we have the living God, the eternal and creator God, even as our king. We would exchange that glory. Let us be like all the other nations. The Lord was their king. Um, Faith would see that. But there's evidence. God gave plenty of evidence that he was among them and he was for them and he was fighting their battles for them. And remember uh, Joshua, uh, when Israel crosses over the Jordan um, and they're about ready to engage all the battles that they're going to fight to take the land of Canaan. And before they even go into the first one against Jericho, Joshua looks up and he sees this man. (laughs) He sees this man. And this man's got his sword drawn out. And Joshua says, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? Kind of shows that maybe, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe his appearance is very much like a man. Wasn't quite sure, Joshua, who this was. But what what does the man say? He says, no, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. (laughs) This was the commander of the army of the Lord. And it was the Lord. He tells Joshua, take your shoes off because this is holy ground. This was the king. There he, he, he didn't always show himself to Israel. He did show himself to Israel and he showed himself to Joshua that day. But for the people of God, what God desires for him is that they have faith, that they walk by faith, that he doesn't have to always have to show himself in such obvious ways, but that they would believe these things, that they would know these things are true and count on them to be true, and to know that even here this morning that he is here with us, right? He's he's right here. Imagine if he just showed himself right now. What would we do? (laughs) Man, we would all be down on our faces, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) But he is here, and faith sees him to be here. This is what God requires of his people, to walk by faith, to know Christ in me, the hope of glory, the spirit in me. I know it. I don't see it, but I know it, and I believe it, and I see evidence of it too. Well, the Lord says to Samuel, they've rejected me. They've rejected me that I should not reign over them, heed their voice, and make them a king. The story continues in chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 17. It says, uh, Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mitzpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up, Israel, out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. The Lord is so good. He's the one who delivers. He rescues and saves and gives us a position of strength over our enemies. But verse 19, but you have today rejected your God who himself saved you, who himself saved you from all your adversaries and your tribulations, and you have said to him, no, set a king over us. And then interesting, you have said to him, you have said to him, no, set a king over us. 
how devastatingly wicked to reject the very one who had saved them. You know, that, that strikes the Christian. <laughs> that strikes the Christian, you know, to say that's possible, that the very one who has saved me, he himself has saved me, that I should say to him, I should say to him, no. I should rebel against him and his rightful place over my life to be king. Uh, chapter 12, the story goes on, chapter 12, verse 1. Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice and all that you said to me and have made a king over you. And we're going to jump to verse 6. And Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron, and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers. He goes into a bit of a history here of the goodness of God and the greatness of God and the power for their own benefit and his, his kindness toward them. Verse 8, when Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtoreths. That sound familiar? <laughs> And now deliver us from the hand of our enemies, and we will serve you. And the Lord sent Drubbabel, that more famously may be known as Gideon, right? Dedan, Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt in safety. Oh, the, the kindness of God. <laughs> The mercy of God. He's so compassionate. How many times they would go away from him and they would come back to him. But every time they come back to him, all this tender compassions of his heart were stirred up towards them. He's so kind. He's so ready to forgive and to just deal generously. It's his heart. I love it. What, uh, I men made mention of that Psalm 106. You want just a good overview of the history of Israel. It's a great psalm to read. And in that psalm, we read this. Many times he delivered them. But they rebelled in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked at their distress when he heard their cry and he remembered his covenant for their sake and relented according to the greatness of his mercy. You know, if, if we do go away from God and we come back to him, he's, he's so ready to receive us back. And if we go away again and come back to him, he's so ready to receive us. And if we go away again, but maybe we can stop going away Verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. 
Now, therefore, here is the king. That's Saul, right? Here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. Now, watch what happens next. We're reaching the end of our story here this morning. And in what remains, we are going to see, I mean, we're already seeing the character of God. But we're going to see it even more here. He's just so, <laughs> God, get, we, we, we want to get to know him better because he's just magnificent. It's a great God. We will see his compassion. We're going to see his mercy. We're going to see his kind and generous heart. But we will also see that he is holy. And he is just. And he must deal with sin. Verse 14, Samuel goes on. Maybe I'm going to point this out at the end here, but maybe we'll even see the compassion here at the beginning, the mercy and the kindness, even in this verse. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your father's. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord, and he will send thunder. Isn't that poetic? We have thunder again. This time it's not against the enemies. It's against his people. Because of sin, he will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great. Sometimes people don't need to see that, but sometimes people need to see that. And the Lord, if people are going to really turn back to the Lord, he's going to have to deal with sin. He's going to have to deal with it. He's got to make sure that we understand things for what they really are. He's ready to show mercy. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to bless. He's ready to restore. But he's, got, he's a holy God and a just God. He must deal with sin. This wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking a king for yourselves. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And I don't know, it just, sometimes we read so quickly, we Maybe don't picture the scene, and we don't picture it long enough. Just, can you just imagine it? They knew the Lord was not pleased, and they heard it. From heaven, they heard his displeasure. And all the people said to Samuel, verse 19, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. Is that what the Lord's come to do? No. He did not come to destroy them. He has to deal with sin. He has to make them see it. But he didn't come to destroy them. He's come to restore them. He's come to restore them, to bring them back to him. But it may seem to them like he's going to destroy us. <laughs> Pray for us that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil of asking a king for ourselves. Now, please, this is the main thing on my heart to say what happens next. It was already hinted at, but now I really want to bring it out as we finish the story. 
Verse 20, then Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things, which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. The kindness and the mercy and the compassion of God here, he'd been rejected by his people, and he bore the grief of heart that came from that. By the way, he was also angry about that. We learn that in another place, he gave them a king in his anger. He was grieved, crushed, angry at their desire to have a king and then rejecting him. But despite this wickedness, despite this sin, and despite the fact that at this point, it can't even be undone. This is, it can't even be undone. His message to his people in essence is this. And this is, if I wanted to say one thing, this is what I want to say this morning. In essence, the Lord is saying to his people, starting now. Yeah, you did this wicked thing. But starting now. You did this thing, it's sin, and it can't even be undone. You can't undo it. But you've recognized that it's sin, and you've sought forgiveness for that sin. Now, starting from here, starting now, follow me. Starting now, serve me, and it will be well for you. What a God. What a God to say this thing. He'd been so rejected, so crushed by them, but he reveals their sin to them. They acknowledge it, and he says, okay, now listen, from here, start now, and things will be well for you And he even says, and your king. (laughs) Things will go well for you and your king. Behold the beautiful character of our God. (laughs) Where are you this morning? Maybe I don't know who I would be speaking to necessarily. You can start anew today. It's a new day. From here, from now, no matter how you have grieved him, no matter how you have sinned against him, even if it is wickedness, even if it is something that cannot be undone, recognize it for what it is and sorrow over it as Israel did and start following him now. Start serving him from this point on and it will be well for you. Wait to see what God will do with your life. Wait to see the blessings that will abound and the things that will be restored to you and the joy of your heart as you walk in sweet fellowship with the living God who dwells in you. And then let's just be faithful. Don't just... This, let's, just, let's just resign. The Lord is for us in this, and there is grace abundant for the purpose of this, that we should 
turn back to the Lord with all of our heart and serve him only and worship him only, not just for a season, but until he comes or until we go. <laughs> Let's just be so worthy of that. Let's give him our whole heart and just never again, you know, go away from him and have to be brought back to him. But just to stay with him, he's so good. And there's plenty of grace, brothers and sisters, right? If you see anyone who's doing well spiritually, you see someone who's mature spiritually, consistently, faithful year after year, even marriages, I'll tell you how it happened. I'll tell you how it happened. Grace. <laughs> grace. There's nobody who's doing well spiritually that isn't laying hold of grace, but there's grace for all of us. There's grace for all of us. And by the grace of God, we can be great. We can really be great. So let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we just thank you so much that you are for us. You are so kind. Oh, that we would know more of your generous heart. You're so compassionate, so merciful. And even though the people were afraid that in your anger and in your thundering that you would come to destroy them and they were pleading with Samuel that, that it would not be so, that was not your purpose. Yes, you have to deal sometimes very um, confrontationally with us on our sin and we need to acknowledge it for what it is and sorrow over it. But your purpose of doing that is so that you can bless us, so that you can enjoy a relationship with us and that we can be in that place that we ought to be, giving you our whole heart and all of our worship and serving you, and not just for a time, because anybody could do well for a little while, but to serve you for the rest of our days. Oh, just help us to see that this is possible because grace is available to us. In fact, it's already been given to us, and uh, may we use it well, be good stewards of that which you've given to us until you come, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.